0: Now, open up to Leviticus 19, uh, Vaikra chapter 19, and uh, as we open up there, uh, we're in Parsha Kereshim. Um and as we open up there, I want to just remind everyone as we so we kind of think about where we are we've talked a, a good bit about the book of leviticus vaikra and um i i hope that our minds are changing about how we how we think about it and uh, and what we think about it and it's it's becoming hopefully a little easier to approach that's my my prayer and um the The entirety of the book, right? The entirety of the book, um, Leviticus. Leviticus in Hebrew, vaikra means what? Do you remember? And he called, right? And he called. So, as I as we talk about the book of Leviticus and we talk about kind of getting our heads around it and wrapped around, it because most of us are not very well versed in it, and and have a hard time approaching it. Anytime you open up the book of Leviticus, anytime you hear a teaching on the book of Leviticus, start to program yourself and and kind of convince yourself that everything in the book of Leviticus needs to be filtered through the idea of he called, right? This is God's calling us to himself. The name of, Leviticus, through all of its you know originations and translations, this doesn't mean a lot to us, right? The word vaikra doesn't mean a lot to us because we don't speak Hebrew natively. But vaikra meaning and he called, and as we talked about a, a few weeks ago, if there's one thing Christians are nuts about, it's the call of God. What is God calling me to do? Where is God calling me to? What's my calling? What's my calling? What's my calling? And as I've said before, we have a whole book named and he called and it's the book we read least in the whole bible and uh so let's filter everything through that that idea that this is god calling us so um we have started last week uh, a new series uh on having god's personality and i hope just the Changing the wording from personality to character, they're not the same thing. Personality and character are not the same thing, but um, they're intertwined, of course. But I hope thinking about God's personality rather than just his character helps to broaden how you think about the attributes of God a little bit. Um, as, we, as we said, you know, when I think about personality, um, I, think about, I think about you guys. I think about y'all. And I think about your personality and what makes you distinct. Um, When, you know, most of us now, we spend enough time together, and usually you can hear someone's voice, you know who they are, right, and you get a general sense, a feeling about them because of their essence, because of their personality, right? Um, I I know it happens for me that when I hear someone's voice, even if I haven't seen them yet, i automatically have a, a picture in my head. Uh, of who they are, how they act, you know, how they might be doing, et cetera, et cetera, because it's our personality, it's our it's our character, it's who we are, our essence. And so I I want to spend a few weeks talking about God's personality. Um and as I did last week, I want to just mention Anamkara Ministries and Clinton Kiva Dunn in Washington. Um, if you'd like to connect with them, they do character teaching and they're the best at it that I've ever found. So if uh, if you're interested in in uh connecting with them Certainly, I can get you connected with him, if you're not already. Um, So, Vayikra 19, Leviticus 19, and um, this is the first personality trait I want to talk about. It says in verse 1, Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel. Now, let's just stop there. We're going to kind of go through this piece by piece because it's important. Up until this point in the book of Vayikra, in the book of Leviticus, up until this point, the, the, the commandments, the teachings, the mitzvot have primarily been directed to whom? Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron. For whom? For the priests, right? For mostly the priests up until this point. The priests, the elders, the judges... Those in leadership, right? There's a lot of mitzvot that the leadership, that leadership in the land of Israel is required, that is not required on everyone else. And so it's important to kind of understand that because here it takes a little bit of a turn. And Leviticus 19 is, is the part of the beginning of what is called in scholarship and stuff the holiness code. So he says, speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel. And this should be a lesson for us, especially those of us who have grown up in church, grown up in Christianity, that there is a standard of holiness, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute. There is a standard of holiness for leadership. Leadership in any given organization, church, business, civic organization, whatever, Leadership is always, there's always more required of leadership. It's just the way that it goes, because there's an example there that has to be set, and that needs to be set. The leadership, the owner of a business, the president of a club, the pastor of a church, whatever it may be, the principal of a school, should always, and is always expected to require a, a higher level of what we'll call Holiness responsibility accountability example right so there is that what that doesn't mean though is that somehow the pastor is the only one that is required to have a level of holiness and that's a mistake that we make oftentimes that well they have to be extra holy they're the pastor or they're the prophet, or they're the evangelist, or they're whatever. And while in some ways that's true, I don't know how it ever got to where it negates the what we call laity, and I hate that, that word, but the, the congregation, it negates the congregation from striving for holiness as well. Just because you have a Moses and Aaron, God could have just said, you guys be holy, priesthood, you be holy Everybody everybody in the, current, in, the, in the nation, you look at them, they're holy. And I'll deal with them. But God doesn't just want to deal with them. He wants to deal with everyone. And so he speaks to the whole congregation of Israel and he says, all of you, women, children, men, old, young, no matter what background. Remember, they're a mixed multitude still. No matter what background, no matter where, where they came from, what they what their grandparents were, whatever, I expect, and I am inviting you, I am calling every one of you to be this thing called holy. He says, Speak to the entire children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for holy am I, Hashem, your God. Yudhe Vavhe, your God. So Listen, I know because I'm the same way. You have probably heard a lot of teachings, a lot of ways to describe holiness. So I want you to talk to me a little bit this morning. And when I say holiness, I want you to tell me what that means or what you understand it to mean. So what is holiness to you? How do you think about holiness? Okay. Set aside, set apart, higher standard. Okay, what else? Now or then? Okay, well, th- then, Christina just said, used to mean perfect. Okay. Okay. You hair. All right. Okay, good. No, this is good. Right. Right. Long dress, long hair, long face. You're absolutely right, but and this is this is this is what I wanted. There, some people think about holiness, and they think about you know, see, I, I you know heard stories being in the Pentecostal churches that you know these preachers they had to be holy. They would mow the grass in the middle of summer with their buttoned up white shirt, you know, all buttoned up, every you know long everything. They were out mowing the grass. Man, that's commitment. Um, I don't, I, don't, I like to mow with as least on as possible. I'm sorry. That's I don't mean to go there. Sorry. <laughs> I don't like the heat. That's all I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, that's not holy. We're not. Um, so, yeah, holiness is about, for some people, it's about the clothes you wear, right, and, and some of that stuff. What, what else do you think about as far as holiness goes? we got set apart. we got a higher standard. What, what's that? Piety. Okay, good. What else? Perfection, Yep, good. We're going to tackle some of these, a few of these. Um, belonging, to God. belonging to God. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. Um, I'll just say yeah, reputation is good. i just say along with kind of what you wear, what about where you go or don't go? Oh, yeah. Right? That's another thing about, about holiness. And I know we laugh and joke, but th- this really is all, all a part of it. So now that I kind of got a feel for, you know, where what you think. You got some good answers. Um, I want to play a little game called what does that mean? Okay. So the biggest probably answer you'll get, and we got it a couple times for holiness is people say, well, holiness means set apart. Okay. And just to let you into kind of how I, when I'm studying something that I'm not familiar with or studying something again that I want to come back to, I play this game with myself. What does that mean? Because, what we tend to do and we find ourselves doing is giving what I call Sunday school answers where we don't, we've not really studied something. We don't really know, but we know of some, an answer we've heard or something we were taught as kids and we just regurgitate that answer, right? And for those, you know, growing up, it was the answer to everything was Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. I don't, you know, I don't know. That's the answer. That's got to be the answer, right? To everything, um, no, it's not always. And so when we say, well, holiness means set apart, I'm going to ask, what does that mean? Yeah, don't go with the okay. Don't go with the okay. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. it's like set aside for a certain purpose. Okay. Right. That's, that's, it's a bar thing. Right. Okay, that's good. Like a, savings account. Like a savings account? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For a reason. That's right. I yeah. It as okay. Right. Shirt to shirt, <laughs> right. Then it's not your play, <laughs> shirt. Not your play shirt, right?
1: Right, it's right.
0: Still just a yeah, I love that. Shirt that you want that to be. That's right. That's, that could be the one. But it's separated for that purpose. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I think that's great. So, and this is good. Whenever we, whenever we approach a topic that even, we're, even if we are familiar with it and we have a tendency to come up with the same answers always, play this little game with yourself. Okay, but what does that mean? Okay, set aside for a purpose. Okay, but what does that mean? And and continue until you drill down to where you don't have an answer. I just don't know. That's a good place to be. Because what we we're trying to do is, remember, we're still all in the process of unlearning some things that we were taught that were not exactly accurate, right? And the church, for all its good and all that it's done, and, and, and whatever denomination you grew up Everybody, we're teaching stuff that's not accurate. That 10 years down the road, you'll go like, that's not how it works at all. But we're doing the best of what we could, and that's how most of us grew up. Now we're in a place where we understand things a little bit differently. And it's, so it's upon us to unlearn some of the old stuff to make room for the new stuff. So um, so this conversation on holiness is really important. And it is the first personality trait that I want to talk about. talk about. Now, there is... Because this is how God defines Himself first. Now, how does God all, or is also defined in Scripture? God is what? Love. love. So, which one is it? Is God holy or is God love? love. Yes. <laughs> the answer is the answer is yes. Which one is He more of? Well, this doesn't work that way. It's not we. we but but watching people and and being a part of maybe different organizations or different groups. Maybe there is a distinction in some groups between love and holiness. In other words, and this is picking on one denomination. You'll know it if if you know. If you know, you know. You get baptized. They don't even hardly know your name, maybe. But you get baptized. You come out. You get dried off. And they have new clothes for you to change into right there immediately on the spot. And that new clothes is usually a long skirt for women, long sleeves, whatever. Which is I 'm not knocking it, what I'm saying is they don't even know you they don't they can't love you, they don't know you and but they want to make sure that you're holy when you come out of the water in a sense that's putting holiness over love. Yes, God loves you, but he doesn't love the way you're dressed, so get changed, and then it'll all be good right and we do this in different ways and different circles, and we all have our way of of maybe pitting one against the other, especially because you can say, well, love, if I love everyone, there's some things that people that I love do that God doesn't like. So do, do those things keep him away because of his holiness? Is there a, is there a, a, a transition point or, or something like that in there? So, but this is why I wanted to start with, with, with holiness because it is the foundation of really who God is and love is a major component of holiness, It's actually the foundational component of holiness is love. And so we'll talk about them kind of together. But in the, I want to read this just uh, real quick. You guys know I I love to read stuff from people that are smarter than me. Um, This commentator says, This week's Parsha was specifically addressed by God through his prophet Moses to all the assembly of the children of Israel. In the words of the Midrash, this partial was addressed to all of the assembly because most of the main bodies of Torah law depend on it. So just think about that for a second. God says, I want you to be this thing called holy, right? Which we've, I think we've defined pretty well, set apart, but even more than that, set aside for a particular purpose. I want you to be holy because I am holy and according, this is Rabbi Greenbaum, he says that all of Torah law depends on this one thing. This holiness is the foundation of being Torah observant, being, walking in the footsteps of Messiah is holiness. So let's kind of riff off of what Ms. Shannon said. As a couple of you said about being set apart for a, a purpose. And we've used this example before. You have, maybe you have dishes in your home that are not used for anything else but maybe Shabbat or maybe, you know, Christmas dishes when, you, you know, when we did Christmas and all or whatever. You have special dishes. That's the only thing they're used for. Now, we could say those dishes are better than our everyday dishes. And in fact, they might be more high quality. They may be, you know, more special in some ways. However, they're only used once a year. They may be beautiful, clean, and and just you know and pristine, but they only get used maybe once or twice a year, or a few times a year. If you use them every day like you used your other dishes, they would look like your other dishes. They would be chipped and faded and you know whatever run through the dishwasher and everything. So they're not they're not better in that sense. So understand this thing about holiness. I'm so glad y'all y'all said it. You said it, Christina. Is that it's not about better. It's not about better. Because we can say, we can say to our own selves, oh, well, I have I've achieved I've achieved or attained holiness in certain areas of my life. I'm not like those people. Well, you know what? Maybe if you live the life those people you live, you might not be where you are right now. So it's not a it's not a thing about better or worse. It's it's about a purpose, right? And so the, the idea of using something in your own home to think about the thing of, of, of holy, I think, is really, is really good. Because the opposite of holiness, right, unholy, are the way we talk about clean and unclean, especially when we deal with Levitical law and Torah law, Tameh and Tahor. When we talk about clean and unclean, we're not talking necessarily about sin. And really, kind of maybe not at all about sin. In a lot of cases. And it's something that's really hard for us to get our heads around. That unclean means unholy, therefore sinful. No. That's not the equation. Uh, for some reason we built that in. That unclean means unholy, therefore sinful. And it doesn't. The The best example, the greatest example that we can use, of course, is is a woman after childbirth. Right? A woman after childbirth is unclean for a male for seven days, for a female child for for 14 days. How in the world has that woman sinned? Or how is there any sin involved in childbirth? There is not. And, And listen, here's the really toxic thing about the way we've talked about holiness and cleanness and uncleanness. Because Christianity at large, even some of the smartest people, has not understood the Jewish view of the Torah and the temple and the way this stuff works. I have heard this, I've been taught this in my past and it is super toxic. And some of maybe you you understand this, maybe you've heard it before. There's something about a woman giving birth that ties back to the Garden of Eden and the curse. Which the woman is never cursed in the garden. The ground is cursed. The earth is cursed but that through childbearing there's something sinful involved because you're bringing another child into this sinful fallen world and they're like it just we get so weird and toxic about stuff we don't understand but in the torah a woman is set aside for a certain time after she gives birth you mamas in here you have that time it's it may be 7 days it may be different depending on your situation but you need that time, right? I don't know. I've never had a baby. You tell me. Um, I've had a cow a couple times, but I've never had a baby. Um, you, you have that time is is necessary. It's necessary. You have to have it. A time where nobody comes around, where you're separated from the community, where you just rest. The beautiful thing about this time of of separation in in, in Israel's time and in the temple time. Is that the religious observances weren't even uh, weren't even on the women f- during that time? You weren't you weren't required to come to the temple and do all these things during that seven or fourteen days. You had t- God gave you permission and just said, "Look, you created another human. You take your time, right? I'll still be here when you get here. Everybody will still be here." You read it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then to add to that, that when a woman does come back to the temple. She brings what kind of offering? Purification. What's the word we usually use? A sin, a sin offering, which is nuts and so upside down. It's not a sin offering. I mean, chatat is a sin offering, but it's a it's a, a a purification offering, right? Brings a purification, which brings us to the idea of what you have a holy God that 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 lives in a holy house, the temple or the tabernacle, what does it mean that God is holy? What does that that mean? Over and over in this Parsha, we we get, we're not going to read through all of it right now, but over and over we get this this refrain. So verse 3 says, um, Every man, every man, your mother and father shall you revere. So here's how holiness works. Every man, your mother and father, you shall revere. Now, don't raise your hands. Just think to yourselves. How many of you, how many of you watching out there, maybe you had a mom or a dad or maybe both that were less than ideal as parental examples, caretakers, etc. I hope that's not the case, but inevitably it is. Parents fail. We're human. What if you just really never got along with your parents? What if, you, what if you have broken relationships with your parents, either because of you or them? What if it's not you and your parents dancing through a field of daisies your whole life, but what if there's some real issues between you and your parents? Holiness says, every man you shall revere, your mother and your father... And then the refrain, and, and my Sabbath, he talks about it in the same verse, and the refrain is, "I am Hashem your God. I am Yudhavat, your God." That's the refrain over and over and over and over. So it works like this. Do you know who God is? Yes. This means yes. You know who God is. You know then who gave this commandment, this mitzvah, this teaching? Right? And remember, these commandments are teachings. They're teaching us something. It's not do it or else. It's do it so you can learn to be more like Hashem. You can have more of his personality. We know who gave the commandment. And so when we hear the commandment and we go, Well, I don't really agree. I think that's kind of hard. I don't think I can do that. It shouldn't matter. You know who gave it. And he says, I'm Hey your God, i you hey your God, do this. Have any of you ever had this conversation with either your parents or you're a parent having them with your kids? Where you as a kid, you say, Yeah, but so and so's mom or dad, to which you have to respond, what? I'm not so and so's mom and dad, right? Yeah, but but you know, his mom lets him stay out, but I'm not, I'm not theirs. You as a parent, in your parenting. Are holy that's the sense of holiness this is the sense that Hashem is talking about that God is talking about when he's giving us these teachings I am yud Vavhe, vav your God I'm not that other God over there I'm not those people's God I'm not serious I'm not those people's God it's not like the gods in Egypt it's not like the God of the Canaanites or the Perizzites or the Hittites or the Jebusites or the Kenizzites or any of those I'm not their God I am your God and as long as you live under my roof, you're going to do things my way. There's another parental thing that all of us have either heard or said, right? Again, taking these concepts that are hard for us to understand and putting them in a real-life family-type situation is important because God is a father, and that's, this is where we get it from. It's in our DNA to be like him. And so when he says, I want you to do this certain thing, because I'm your God, I've heard this taught, and I've taught it before, and I don't like it. So I'll try to clean it up a little bit. The idea that God says, do this thing, I am Hashem your God, is like saying, because I said so. And sometimes that works. But in this case, honoring your father and mother, revering your father and your mother, some people have really, really, really traumatic parental relationships. I mean, let's just be honest. There's been abuse. There's been neglect. There's been all kinds of things. Now, if God is holy and God is love, both at the same time, in equal parts, then how loving is it for a God to tell a man or a woman who suffered parental abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, or mom or dad were just gone, just neglect, how loving is is it for them to for him to say, "You honor them and you revere them because I said so does that does anybody else have a problem with that? It, just seems it, yeah, it seems hyper insensitive like God's a real big jerk, right that's what it sounds like and and I've taught it that way, and I know that's kind of the default way of teaching this, which works for like don't commit murder. I am a shim. Okay. But when you're talking about real life, listen, I my dad and I are great right now. I mean, you know, we've been great for a long, long, long time. But there was a, a there was a time there where it was not good. And and I laugh about it now. I can't laugh about it now. It's great. But I would read, I would, people would say, you know, Father God, and I would just think, ugh. Because it was so hard for me to relate to God as father because at that point in our relationship, my dad wasn't modeling a or what I saw as a fatherly role, if that makes sense. So it made it hard to go, well, God's a father. I look at my dad and the way I thought of him at that time, I think, I don't want anything to do with God if he's anything like that, right? And so we, we have to really think about what we're saying. And as I've talked about the last couple of weeks... When we say anything about scripture or about what scripture says or about what God wants, one question that we never ask that I want us to start always asking when we talk about God and we talk about what he requires or commands or demands or whatever is how does it make him look? How does that make God look? So, God tells every person, no matter of your parental history or background or whatever, you're going to love them and you're going to, it's the fourth commandment, you're going to love them and you're going to honor them no matter what the situation is because I said so. How does it make God look? Authoritative, Authoritative dictatorial, insensitive, desensitized. Is that the God we serve? I, I don't... I don't think so. And I'm not trying to change the scripture to make God seem like a, you know, celestial Santa Claus. You guys know that for sure. But what I'm saying is, yeah, there's there what if there's more to it than what we see on the surface, right? Not that dishonoring parents is ever a good thing, but what I don't want People who are wounded by relationships, by parental relationships, what I don't want you to hear is if you can't make yourself honor your father or mother who abused you, who who minimized you, who who denied you or, or whatever, neglected you, if you can't do that, then there's no chance of you being holy. I, that's what I don't want you to hear because that's what I hear whenever I hear these things. Do it or you can't be holy, right? So this... There's, there's a lot more to this concept and understanding of holiness than just on the surface that it's just a set of clothes or where you go and where you don't go or even what you're able to do and not do at certain times in your, in your life. So the entire Torah law depends upon this idea of being set apart for a purpose. Set apart for a purpose I think probably is the best way that we can talk about what holiness is. Set apart is fine. We can say set apart. Well, what does that mean? Well, to some people, and of course there's a spectrum here, like there is isn't everything, but people that take it to the extreme, set apart means I basically have to leave society and become almost a hermit-like in order to be holy because set apart means, you know, holiness means set apart, and if if I'm not set apart, then someone else's unholiness might taint my holiness so I have to get away and I have to separate and segregate myself so that I can live holy as I want to without any outside interference and it's not just individuals that have this idea heck there was a group in Yeshua's day that had this idea who have we talked about the Essenes right they saw the the corruption in the temple and they went like nope we're out out into the wilderness, Qumran, where if you've ever been there, nobody wants to live there, right? It's what? Yeah. It's it's rough out in the wilderness. It's rough. Nobody wants to live there, but they wanted to be separated from the corruption so badly that they moved out to a, this you know place where nobody wants to live, out in, literally in the middle of the desert. So for some people, that set apart means if there's anything that I deem as not holy, I have to pull away from it. I have to get away from it. Right. This is reinforcing the way we've taught, and I think I think this is so funny. Because like I said, I I was in the barrooms a lot as a kid, which is not something I'm I'm not bragging. I'm just saying it's just the way it is. But I was in barrooms a lot as a kid. And and I got to be friends with, you know, older gentlemen in the band and stuff, and they would drink and they would, you know, cuss and they would have parties and they would whatever and, and all that kind of stuff. And I also saw a lot of things. I saw people sitting at these counters, these bars, just for hours and hours and hours, every weekend, two, three nights a weekend, drinking their lives away. I saw men and women, husbands and wives, whatever, fight like two grown men. Women get dragged outside by their hair. I mean, I've seen it all as a young kid. And then I would sit in, in and the bar. You know, I mean, it's dark, it's dingy, it's smoky. Back when you could smoke in bars, it's it's loud. It's just it's just a certain thing when you go into these little dive bars, right? And then on Sunday morning, I would walk into and sit in this beautiful building that was very clean, smelled good, the plumbing worked. You weren't scared to go in the bathroom, right? It was. And, and everybody was dressed nice, everybody was very polite. There's a you know a man that's dressed very nicely, standing on the people that are singing beautifully, you know? It's everything opposite of what I experienced the night before. It's what we would call the answer to everything I experienced the night before. the alternative, the real way things should be, right? And the problem is, then I would hear a person stand up, And say things like, if you really want to be close to God, you won't go to those places. If you really want to be close to God, you won't hang around those people. If you really want to be close to God, you won't be around those activities. Because somehow they taint your your holiness. But then you read in the Gospels that Yeshua, who, could we all agree, was holy? Right? That... That's the place where he spent all of his time. Yeshua's holiness was not threatened by somebody else's unholiness. Because I think for some of us, for me, holiness still has this, this mystical quality about it. Like holiness is better or holiness, there's still a, I don't know. If I'm holy, I'm closer to heaven and further from earth, I don't know. It's some kind of mystical something about it that needs to be scrubbed off of it and wiped away. Because holiness is not anything mystical or magical. Holiness is literally, I have a different purpose. Now, we have to ask ourselves then, if Yeshua is our example, and his holiness was not threatened by being around the unholy of his day... What is that supposed to teach us? He set aside for a purpose. What was his purpose? His holiness holiness was set aside for a purpose. What is Yeshua's purpose? Proclaim Proclaim the good news to the poor, right? To bind the brokenhearted, to release the captives. Well, where do you find the poor and the brokenhearted and the captives? In South Louisiana in the 80s and 90s? You found them at Willie's Bar in Washington, Louisiana. In rose pine, you find them at Billy Goat Hill. Right? Badas on the bayou, right? But no, we can't go there because our holiness will be tainted. But if your holiness is not something mystical and magical, and if your holiness is a function, a function can't be tainted just by who you're around. The function remains the function. It is what it is. And if our... Holiness, our set apartness for a purpose, and that purpose is to follow in the footsteps of our Messiah and do the things he did. We can sit in a beautiful, comfortable building all we want, and we can drive through Billy Goat Hill and think, Ugh, I need to take a shower after I drove through there on my way to Lowe's or whatever. But the bottom line is, those people that are wasting away in the bottom of a glass, those people are there be- for a reason. And that reason, maybe you and I can fix, maybe we can't fix. And I'm not saying, hey, go spend Friday nights every night at the bar. But you know what I am saying? If you are so inclined and you don't struggle with that, don't let your staying away from certain people or certain activities be because you don't want to not be holy. Does that make sense? Because holiness is not something that rubs on and rubs off. Holiness is a function. It's something that you do. You are set apart for a purpose. Your holiness between you and God, the, 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 the purpose you're set apart for Him, is that you don't transgress His holiness. And like I said before, that's not always sin. It doesn't always equate to sin. A woman in the... Yeshua goes up to this woman with the issue of blood. Have you ever wondered what the issue of blood was? The issue of blood is she's Nida for 12 years. Nidah is a woman's monthly time. She has a menstrual issue for 12 years. Was she in sin? No, but she was what? Unclean, Impure which kept her isolated from the rest of the community. Yeshua never tells her, your sins are forgiven. That's not the, that's not the point. What does he do? He restores her to community. He transfers holiness. Yes, he transfers holiness. In other words, he gives her the function of being holy and says, now you can fulfill that function. And has compassion. It has compassion. All the things to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to release the captives. All these things are a function of holiness. And unlike Kyle said, transfer holiness. Listen, I want to make this as as tactile and concrete as I can, okay? Because I think it's been too ethereal and too, it's been like love. Well, what does it mean? I don't know. It's something floating up there in the sky. When we talk about holiness and transferring holiness, or imputing imputing is that the word uh, righteousness, holiness, and those things, we're not talking about. It's so hard to, to to codify. It's not like so. I'll talk about abundant life, and maybe that'll make sense. Yeshua said, "I've come that you might have life, and life more abundant." Right? Well, how do you get this abundant life? There's there's not like a big gumbo pot of abundant life up in heaven and when you come and you give jesus your heart and you you god goes i'm gonna ladle out some abundant life there you go you don't just have it it doesn't it doesn't happen just like i said by magic abundant life is because i accept the messiah's torah i accept his way of life i repent of my own life and i'm gonna start doing things his way and that is going to produce abundant life because I'm doing things according to his way. It's about yeah, it's about response to, the, to, to what I've been given. Understand? So holiness is not something, there's not like a big, again, there's not a, you know, a big soup pot of holiness that God just goes and he goes, now that you believe in Messiah, now you are holy. No, holiness is about, it's like everything else, it's about partnership. It's about engaging with God, doing things his way, because he's dad, and doing things his way and understanding what he's trying to teach us through it, that we become holy. God declares us as holy, but we have to partner. We have to engage in that holiness in order to maintain it. The whole thing about impurity in the tabernacle and the temples is that the place is holy because God lives there. It's sacred because God, because of who lives there, right? We've talked about this. And inevitably, I'm going to come in with certain behaviors that threaten that holiness. Are they all sin? No. Are they all on purpose? No. And we've talked about this. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of the offerings don't even deal with something that I do on purpose. They deal with stuff that happens by accident. That your kids come in after you... Heather just shampooed the carpets the other day. Asher spills something. Does he intend to violate that sanctity that just happened there? No. And inevitably, in God's house, in God's dwelling... There are things that we're gonna do that violate the sanctity that, that push God a little further out. That He gets like, I don't want to live here anymore. It's getting kind of filthy, it's getting kind of dirty. You know, does that make sense? Just because of just because of life. Because people die and stuff bleeds and whatever. It's just the way it is. So it's the focus is not sin. But because God has set a standard, that's the way that it has to be upheld. Now all of the Torah is based on this idea that we be separated, that we be separated for a function. In other words, the Torah, you can't even start to apply the Torah to your life if you've not committed that you are going to be about God's way of doing things. And for surely we're all there. But this understanding that you can't even start to walk like Messiah until you've decided you're going to be. Again, salvation is, is not by works. Salvation, I mean, works is a result of salvation. Israel was saved first, then they got the Torah. We are redeemed first, then we get to acting like God in his holiness. He goes on to say, I'm taking a long time to get through this part, sorry. Um, he goes on to say, be holy, be pure, perushim, separate from the world's vanities. And I love this. I love the way we think about this. Separate from the world's vanities, for holy am I, Hashem, your God. This teaches that if you sanctify yourselves, God considers it as if you have sanctified Him. everybody get that? If you dedicate yourself to sanctification, to doing things God's way, it's going to sanctify God. It says... And if you do not sanctify yourselves, God considers it as if you haven't sanctified him. So this is real big church words. Let's just break it down. If I ask Josiah to do something, and he does it and makes it a part of his everyday I'm like, okay, buddy, let's make sure we're brushing our teeth and putting deodorant on, right? You're a nine-year-old boy. You get in the stinky phase. It's time to start, right? and he makes that a part of his, his, his everyday life, what do I think as a parent? Oh, he's, he's taking my teaching, right? He's taking my instruction, and he's doing what I'm asking to do. He's sanctified me in that way. If he refuses to do that, he has not sanctified me because he hasn't taken seriously the instruction that I'm giving him, right? Super simple. Again, something in homes we deal with all the time. Now, it goes on to say, Could this mean that if you sanctify Hashem, that He is sanctified, but then if you don't, that He's not? In other words, is God's holiness dependent on how we act? No. The Torah itself says, I am holy. So what's the point here? The point is it's not about God and whether He's holy or not. It's about us and how it reflects on our submission to Him. But I love how it says that this is teaching us that we... um, Uh, that we are to separate from the world's vanities, from the world's vanities. Now, again, the guy writing this is not a Christian. He's a Jewish rabbi, right? He doesn't know anything about the apostolic scriptures, about the New Testament. But don't we have some instruction in the the Brich HaDashah, in the New Testament, about the world? Anybody know where I'm going? About being in it, but not... Okay, yeah. This is exactly what he's saying, separate from the world's vanities, but not separate from the world itself. He goes on to say, and this is this is really kind of the meat and the heart of where where I want to uh, I want to get to, because um, I think this is so good. the 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 idea of how do we how do we use holiness, this ties again into Yeshua. And, and, and his function and his purpose and, and all these things. Come um, on, uh, come on, come on, come on. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm getting to it. Ah. The code of holiness, which we start in around Leviticus 19. The code of holiness contained in our Parsha is not one that requires its followers to separate from the material world and live apart in ascetic communities such as monasteries and the like. Now, this is not bashing monasteries or kibbutz or whatever. Look, if, if God, you really feel stronger that God's calling you to leave everything and go, go. I mean, I'm not telling you that. But at large, this is not what we're talking about. This is the way to think about it. On the contrary, true kedusha, holiness, comes to a person, listen, precisely through living his or her life with family, friends, and associates within the wider community and in the work day world. Making a living within the boundaries of the halakha, the walking of Torah, taking into account the needs of the needy, dealing correctly in business, abstaining from all theft and corruption, from hatred, from vengeance, etc. It is precisely through these commandments in our everyday material lives, while actually dealing with all that we have to deal with every day, that is how we become purer. So, the paradox and the irony about holiness and purity is that we think that as we get away from contamination, we become holier and more pure, when actually it's the other way. As we walk through these situations that are unholy and impure and unrighteous, and with people that are unholy and impure and unrighteous, as we walk through them, Implementing Torah instruction and Torah wisdom, living like Messiah in those that we actually become holier, we actually become purer. So the answer is not to be more holy; is to escape. The answer is to engage. And I love this about Yeshua because this is exactly the this is exactly the life that he's that that we celebrate. Is that. Yeshua could have, and we might think of the Messiah as one who just sits in the temple all day studying and teaching. And while he did that, and while he got alone by himself to pray and to to realign and, you know, to to get his head right and to, to hear the voice of God, while he did all those things, he goes straight back into the world that's broken and needy because his holiness, what we think of Messiah as as holy if all that he had done was sat in the temple in a really sterile um, kind of environment, right? Would we think about what his ministry, what his impact, would would he have affected the world like he did if he just sat in the temple and been like, oh, I'm too holy to go touch any of you dirty people? We'd have gone like, wow, he was really a great sage and really well studied and really wise and all of that. But he wouldn't have affected any change. Because the change comes through taking the holiness into unholy places, which is contradictory to what most most of our churches teach, sadly. Right, that's right. What happens if a gardener or farmer sits inside and is like, oh, if I'm around the weeds, I'm going to get weedy. Like, No, it, you got to go out there and tend that stuff in order for the good stuff to grow up. You can't. We we're so scared, we're so scared of being contaminated, for some reason, by somebody else's holiness. Now I get. Listen, there's wisdom in everything. So if you have a, a history of, of of alcoholism and and you know you're prone to that, please don't go to Billy Go Hill and minister. That's not wise. Okay, there's wisdom in everything. Okay, if you have a, a history with drugs or you have an addictive personality, probably not smart to go. Well, like. Pastor Joe said, Yeshua did it, I'm good. nah, right? Let's, he didn't have some of the hangups that we, we have. So we have to be wise for sure. But our holiness is not going to be uh, diminished or tainted if we're around these things. The only way our holiness is demented or tainted is if we don't walk in our function of being holy. It's kind of like if you don't use it, you lose it. If you're saying, I'm holy, I'm holy, I'm holy, but you aren't affecting anybody or the world around you, are you, though? If we're supposed to be the light. We don't really know how bright we're shining. Until we're in the dark. Thank you. Right. Exactly. The light. See, all these things, yes, absolutely. All, if y'all didn't hear online, Brady said, if we're, if we're supposed to be the light, we don't really know how bright we shine until we're actually in darkness, right? Because what is the function of light? It's to push darkness away. Well, what good is a flashlight in a well-lit building? And so th- this idea that we, we – I just want to combat this, this kind of mystical way of thinking about holiness that like, oh, if I'm around them, I'm like, oh, uh, holiness is going to rub off. No, like your holiness, I'm actually rub off on them. It's not just going to rub off of you. The, the, what the world needs is for people that are that – are, that know their function. They know that we're set apart for a purpose. What is that purpose? To rebuild this world, to make this world a better place. I'm going to go into the places where it needs to be rebuilt, where it, needs to be, uh, where it needs to be bound together. I'm going to go into people's lives that are hurting. I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to get to doing what I do. That's holiness. And you know what? In those situations, you're going to encounter challenges. What Rabbi Greenbaum was talking about, you live with your family, you're going to have some challenges. Friends, you're going to have challenges. Coworkers, associates, why? Because people are challenges that are walking around. That's what we are. We're, 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 we're complexes with two feet. Everybody's got some issue. Everybody's got some wound, some hurt, some thing. Everybody's got an attitude. That's just who we are as people. We're dynamic. And when people start rubbing together and bumping into each other, it just makes all this tension. So if you come into a situation and you can't affect it like you would like to, maybe the point is for it to affect you and teach you something you need to know about yourself. See, we can't. While we want to change the world, we want to help, and we want to make a better place. We want to expand the kingdom of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven. We can't get a savior complex. Again, there's wisdom and balance in everything. There's going to be situations you can't fix and you can't help, and they're going to take a toll on you. Maybe, maybe that situation is not for you. Not for you to fix. Maybe it's for you to learn something about yourself. And therefore increase your holiness and your closeness to God. This, this idea that we are, that I'll, I'll just read the statement again. It's through keeping these commandments in our everyday material lives. While actually dealing with all we have to deal with a day that we become purer. Hey, when you started eating clean, you realize how much unclean stuff there is out there, right? See? there's pork in everything there's bacon in everything right during a hakamatsu unleavened bread you realize that there is yeast in everything right this is but you see what the what this this is teaching us about holiness teaching us about drawing near i'll read one more uh, one more well let me read this um, this purity that we're talking about is the holiness the kedusha which is the defining attribute of the life that is set before us in this Parsha. Um, in mystical writings, Kedusha is par- particularly associated with the mental and spiritual faculties of Chokmah, Bina, and Da'at. Chokmah, wisdom. Um, Bina, understanding. And Da'at, knowledge. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge equals holiness. Think about that. Isn't that cool? Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge is holiness. (laughs) And it comes from the Father. That's right. Godly wisdom, godly knowledge, godly understanding is holiness. How do we attain those things? How do we get those things? Well, one of the main ways is like it's all in here. This is the wisdom book. We need to wrestle with it and study it and know it and understand how to read it and how to deal with it. I love that. I think that's beautiful. So just to wrap up, a, a, a Pete ends quote. I almost can't go a week now without quoting Pete ends. For those of you that know, you know. Um, by the way, did anybody listen to his Leviticus podcast I posted? Dude, so super good. They all Listen, I have it posted online. If you haven't watched it, it's a killer in a good way. Uh, this is just a quote from that episode reminding us about Leviticus and this whole uh, plea for holiness and, and uh, looking for holiness. Leviticus is not an annoying legalistic add-on to the Exodus story. <laughs> Leviticus is not an annoying legalistic add-on to the Exodus story. I know a lot of people that w- they would just go like, I, I can't, sorry, short circuit. It's the culmination, he goes on, it's the culmination of the Exodus story. The people have been freed from Pharaoh, and now they're in God's presence and bound to this God who rescued them. And the book of Leviticus is always about that. You know that when the treasure of Israel came out of Egypt, they didn't stop being slaves. They were slaves in Egypt. They came out, and now they're slaves to Hashem. Yeah, the burden is different, no doubt. The burden is different. The, the lifestyle is different. The instructions, and everything's different. But they're still, every man's not free to do what's right in his own eyes. They're still a slave to someone. The great thing is that they get to choose. No, we want to go back to Egypt. No, we're going to stay here with Moshe and, and deal with it. If you stay here, this holiness code and this pursuit of holiness is what we're invited to partake in. I, there, there's so many, I think, valuable things that we've talked about this in this, this teaching, one of which I just want to remind you, circling back, is this idea that when you read these commandments, God is not saying, if you can't do this, you are not holy. That's not what, what's happening here. Remember, while the commandments may be taught sometimes as very legalistic and very, and I've said this before, you don't have to understand them. You just have to do them. Well, to a point, I believe that's true. But when we're dealing with other things, baggage, hurts, scars, all these other kinds of things that we have to get through and we want to we be healed from, realize that God is not just up there going like, if you just do it, God is a loving father. His love is equal to his holiness, and they're they they are one and the same. They're not opposed to each other. They're not different balancing factors. Holiness is love. It is love. Because every one of you in here are good parents, and you've all had a holiness code for your children. You've all had a holiness code for your children. It might have not been exactly like the Torah, but in your house, it was your holiness code. Why do you even have a holiness code for your kids? To protect them. them. Why else? Because you want them to live, to teach them, and grow. You want the best for them. So you put... You establish a code of ethics in your own home to promote their well-being, their protection, their healing, their productivity, that they'll grow up to be decent, functioning human beings. Peace Peace in the home, yes. All these things, that's your holiness code as a parent. And you know what? Abba has one too for his children. And it's not to hurt us. And it's not to bind us up in legalism. It's to teach us. Do your kids, did they always get all of your holiness code right the first time? Did they leave the house having all of your holiness code right? Nope. There's stuff right now. I can think my mom, if she walked into my house, would still go like, didn't I tell you and raise you better than this? Yeah, I know. I'm 42. Sorry. But, you know, it is what it is. There are some things that we will never quite get. But the reason for this call to holiness is not to hold it over someone else and it's not to make us insecure about who we are and how holy we are it's to teach us about the heart of god and about our function here on the earth so god's personality first and foremost is holiness everything and i think chris said it well it's the opposite of usually what we should think we do and are what everybody else is doing if you go against the grain, you're probably in a good spot. <laughs> if you go against what's happening at large, and I'll say this, even within the religious community at times, if you go against the religious fads and you go like, mm, I don't know, you're probably in the right place. Because even in religion, there are these, these ebbs and flows. It will be all about healing for 10 years. And then it's not about healing so much anymore. It's all about financial prosperity. And then it's not about that so much anymore. It's all about prophecy. And then eh, it's not about that anymore. And then it's all, and we have these ebbs and flows. If you can resist that and maintain and be be uh, consistent, you'll find yourself in a lot lot better place. So, that's all about holiness. We'll talk a little bit more if you'd like to afterwards. But we're going to say goodbye to our online uh, family. Thank you guys so much for joining us again. We love you. Let's pray for them as we uh, get ready to dismiss.